By the way, we're talking on how to make friends this morning. I can't see, okay? I can't, I can't see that far down. My wife says my glasses are nice looking, but they're not functional. So when I'm looking that far down, it's like I'm a bobblehead. It's just up and down, up and down. We are the life of the party. Have you ever been to a party? Do you like parties? Do you know anyone that's a life of a party? You're going to stay awake this morning. That's great. When I was growing up as a child, church was my party time. Now, I wish I could say that I always went to church to get close to Jesus, read the Bible, hear the preaching. But we went to church every Sunday morning, every Sunday night, every Wednesday night. And if there wasn't church in our church, we went to a church that was having church. But most of the time in growing up years, I went because that's where I saw my friends. That's where we would hang out together. That's where when we would have those altar services and all of the parents would come up and just be having a great time in the Lord, we would sneak out the back door and be out there playing hide-and-go-seek and kick the can and tag and just having a whale of a time. It was always party time when I went to church. And you know something that's never changed? I still enjoy coming to the house of God. I still enjoy coming as we have services and meeting you folk in the foyer, in the hallways, in the classrooms. That's just the way it's been. It's always been fun to have a party. When I was in college, it wasn't that I was the life of the party, but it was simply that I enjoyed parties or get-togethers where we're having fun. And so I could be studying, getting ready for an important test, an exam. And I'm in my room. I've got the book open. I'm studying. One of the guys sticks his head in there and says, Hey, Fisher, we're going to go play snooker downtown. I'm in. Let's go. Because it's fun. It's a party time. And as we're walking through some of these things today, I want us to get into our spirit, into our heart, that Jesus says it's okay to have a party. It's all right. You've been hearing the last couple of Sundays that Jesus was a partier. He enjoyed being around people. So all of my life, I have enjoyed parties. Now, a few Sundays ago, Pastor was transparent enough to talk to you about his personality just a little bit. In my personality, it's kind of like I enjoy party, it's fun, I enjoy people. I'm kind of an SI, if you know the DISC relationship. I'm not SIC. That would make me sick. So I'm, I'm an SI, and I enjoy that. Part of my personality, if you are not aware of it uh, as yet, is I enjoy Southern Gospel music. I also enjoy eating the Pepperidge Farm Geneva cookies. So I can have a party by myself. And this is kind of what it would be like. I would get in my car. I've got my Geneva cookies with me right on the seat beside me. And I throw in my music and I hit the switch. And this is kind of what you hear. Nothing. Some of you are having culture shock right now. A little old Cajun preacher was preaching. 
It doesn't take much for me to have a party. And I think that there's one Southern Gospel supporter back there. And I believe with all of my heart that part of what Jesus is wanting to get into our hearts in this series, the pastor is leading us, that we need friends. We need community. We need people around us that can be a part of what we're doing. We can be a part of what they're doing. So I want to turn your attention to a portion of Scripture. Actually, Jesus was on the way walking to the garden with his disciples, his friends. Just in a casual kind of a a conversation, he turns to his friends and he says this. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I have learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Then the father will give you what you ask in my name. Verse 17, these things that I command is that you love one another. Now, you have to catch this in in these verses because here's what it's saying. Greater love hath no man than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. That's Jesus loving people. For God so loved the world and gave his only begotten son. Jesus loving people was willing to lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends. That is people loving Jesus. And when we look at the word friends, where he says, I have called you friends, that word friends there simply means partnering, partnership. Isn't it great that Jesus has called us to not only be a follower of his, but when we become a follower of Jesus and we enter into community and we enjoy the friendship, we become a partner. We have been joined together. Now, I don't know, there may be some here in this uh, sanctuary this morning that you're saying, well, Pastor Don, you know, I don't really, I don't really have friends. I don't have very many friends. And the definition of friends is simply that there are those who will be willing to serve and love and play together, cry together, live together, and all of these kind of elements. And we find it no more displayed than when we were recognizing the military this morning. There's story after story after story of men and women who who gave their life, put themselves in front of a dangerous situation, threw their body across a landmine or a grenade or something that's happening. Countless stories in the military of those who gave their life for their friends. I've got to be honest with you. When we think about this, and, and you don't have to you know, answer the question, but how many friends do you have that you would die for? See, I I can say that regarding my wife. I would give my life for her, for my children, for my daughter-in-laws, for my grandchildren. I'd lay down my life for them. You say, well, you know, I've just never been called to do that. God's never asked me to do that. But what if he did? How many of us are willing to lay down our life for a friend? 
So, well, come to think of it, I really don't have that many friends. <laughs> if you go by that definition, I don't have very many friends. They tell us, the Gallup poll tells us that America, the American people, are one of the most loneliest people in the world. Three-fourths of the American society live in a metropolitan area. Two-thirds of those people live in the suburbs. And this all began around mid-1950, after World War II, when the designers who used to create communities, they would take a, an architectural piece of paper and they would lay out the streets and then they would build the houses and to conserve space, they would make them two, three stories high, very close together. And then they would plant a barber shop and a grocery store and a hardware store, something that you could walk to in a matter of minutes. Some of you remember that. My grandparents never owned a car. All of their life, they never owned a car. They lived at 223 West Jefferson Street. They were within one block from the meat locker, from the grocery store. Two blocks would get them to the barber shop, drug store, J.C. Penney's, the dime store, the bank. And if they really had to stretch it out, four blocks would get my grandmother to the veterans place where she was working with the American Legion. That's how they lived their life. But you know something? They could tell you every person that lived within a three-block area of their house. They could tell you where they worked, how many kids they had. They could tell you when something was wrong, when somebody was sick, because they were constantly crossing paths with these people in their travels. So now we have gone and we have developed this idea that we're in the metropolitan area, we're in the suburbs, and, and, and I'm going to share with you this morning, the best way to illustrate it is, is basically you have to have a diagnosis before you have a prognosis. If I'm having problems with my car and it keeps pulling to the right, every time I get in it, the steering wheel just kind of, it just wants to go this way. So I take my car to the mechanic and I tell him my car is pulling to the right. I get in it every time I'm driving down the street, the car is pulling to the right. He says, okay, I'll tell you what we're going to do. Change the oil, put some new windshield wipers in, and fill up your washer fluid. You'll be good as new. So I take off driving down the street, and I'm still pulling to the right. What has happened? He has failed to diagnose why the car is pulling to the right. So I go back, and he says, okay, I guess we better put it on the machine. We better turn on the computer. We better see uh, about the tie rods and the ball joints and, and all of these things that make up the front end alignment because we have to have a diagnosis before we can have a prognosis. So this morning, I want to do two things, accomplish two things with us today. I want us to look at three areas that are deterrents to community. Three areas that have drawn us away from community that have infiltrated and influenced and affected our life, that now we really don't know those who live around us. We really don't know those who we have moved in next door to. And one of those, the first one, I think, is, is and, and these are, I think, are the, probably the top three, is called individualism. Or what about my needs? What about my needs? See, we unconsciously have been moved into a me culture. 
And that has also moved us into a me world. What about me? What about, it's like me, myself, and I, we are the three most important people in the world. Me, myself, and I. And it translates into a me culture. And this is, these are some of the ways that it manifests itself. Myself over others. I've got to ask us this morning. When is the last time we have done something for someone besides ourselves? When is the last time we have done something for someone besides ourselves? See, that, that's what comes out of the individualism. It, it's myself is more important than others. Lawsuits become more important than reconciliation. We are in a lawsuit crazy world. And it doesn't take much. We're not talking about multiple car crashes. We're talking about our neighbor mowing the grass and the lawnmower throws a rock against our siding and we're immediately down to that famous place downtown where we will get money for you. Some of you watch television, don't you? We will get money for you. And we're right down. We haven't even talked to the neighbor. He may have been or she may have been having a difficult day. They have had maybe a financial crisis or a loss of a family member or got a pink slip at the job. And as they're mowing that grass, their mind is is, is the farthest away from I'm afraid I'm going to hit your house with a rock. But we don't even go and check that out. We just head down to the attorney because we're going to sue them. We're going to get some money. Lawsuits become more important than reconciliation. Cynicism rules over trust. Because after all, how can I trust somebody I don't know? And I don't know my neighbors, so I'm not going to trust them. I don't know my neighbors, so so I'm going to be very, very skeptical and cynical at their actions and their livelihood because I don't know who they are. And then relative truth rules over absolute truth. Relative truth comes into play because it is defined by and for each individual. In other words, you and I make up a truth that fits us. Fits our situation, our condition, our status, our place in society, and and we just don't like these other absolute truths. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's a bummer. So we're going to make another one up. And and we're going to make one up that, that helps us to just understand that we're just the most important person in the world to God. And God wants me to care for myself more than anyone else. That, that isn't according to Scripture. We are important to God. The Bible says we're the apple of His eye. But I think here's something that we have to catch this morning, friends. I think it's time we take ourselves a little less serious and take God a little more serious. That it's really not about me. We heard that few several years back now. Rick Warren, Purpose Driven Life. It's not about us. 
It's about what God has called us to do and the purpose that he has given to us in this life. So that's individualism. What about my needs? It has slowly drug us away from community. It has slowly moved us away from that time of fellowship and friends because we only care about ourselves. Diagnosis number one. Number two is isolation or closet loneliness. See, isolation flows out of individualism. If I become individualistic long enough, I will eventually move into closet isolation or loneliness. It's just it's just an automatic flow. When we experience isolation, that is when we now become only centered on ourselves and nothing else. Let me read you a story from the Boston Globe 1996 true story. It can never be said that Adele Gabori's neighbors were less than responsible. When her front lawn grew hip deep, they had a local boy mow it. When her pipes froze and burst, they had the water turned off. When the mail spilled out the front door, they called the police. The only thing they didn't do was check to see if she was alive. And she wasn't. On Monday, police climbed her crumbling brick stoop, broke in the side door of her little blue house, and found what they believed to be the 73-year-old woman's skeletal remains sunk in a five-foot-high pile of trash where they had apparently lain perhaps for as long as four years. It's not really a very friendly neighborhood said Eileen Dugan. She is 70, once a close friend of Adele's. Because her house sat less than 20 feet from the dead woman's house. She said, I'm as much to blame as anyone. She was alone and needed someone to talk to. But I was working two jobs, and I was sick of her coming over at all hours. Eventually... I just stopped answering the door. How much do we know about our neighbors? How well do we know our neighbors? How well do we know? You see, this this church is a blessing. Whether you realize it or not, this church is a blessing. But and, and as great as it has been and the great history that it has, and, and I'm sure that 22, 23 years ago, we didn't understand how culture was going to be changing. So this is just my observation, my opinion, no fault on any uh, past people who are involved in building this church. But this church was never built for community. Because as I see it, working with our ushers and our greeters, we basically have three congregations. We have a group of people that come through the door over here and find their seat. And when the service is over, they leave through the door over there. We have people who come in the main doors and they find their seat in the sanctuary. And when service is over, they leave through the main doors. And then we have a group of people who come through the office doors and they find their seats. And when the service is over, they leave through the office doors, never The three shall meet this side of heaven. And and so from time to time I have people and I show I said I'll talk about John Smith. 
John, who's John Smith? Oh, John Smith, he's been in the church 20 years. And they say, well, that's interesting. I've been in the church 25 years. And I don't know John Smith. See, that's what Pastor has been leading us into. And that's what Pastor Jason is so passionate about with his small groups. Because, folks, we, God never planned for you and I to walk this journey by ourselves. And then when we do hit a crisis and we do reach out to the church family and people are going, who are they? Never seen them. So we've got to get into service you to look up if you even exist. And that's not what, what Jesus is wanting to get across is we're community and it's okay to have a party. See, I think next time we have communion, we, are, we ought to have cookies and punch. Now, some of you dear precious folk of tradition would go, oh, the roof would fall in. And God would pour out fire out of heaven if we had cookies and punch instead of a wafer and some grape juice. Well, if you want to get real about it, we probably need to get some unleavened bread and some good Mogan David wine. Because I'm not so sure that Jesus had little tiny wafers and grape juice. I mean, Welch's wasn't even around at that time. Do you catch what I'm saying? It's not about the method. It's about the mission. And the mission is for the body of Christ to enjoy. Folks, we don't have much time on this earth. My wife really gets upset when I begin to tell her, Honey, we've got a lot more years behind us than we do ahead of us. She says, Shut up. She doesn't like to hear that. By the way, I just want to thank you on behalf of Barbara and I. Five years ago today, we came to Erie First Assembly. Five years. And it has been a joy. It has been a joy. And I thank you so much for allowing us to come and be a part of your church family. So we just wanted to take a a second to say that. But, but it's true. Life is short. If you don't believe that, pick up the newspaper and open to the obituaries. It's not just people in their 80s and 90s that are dying today. It's in their teens and their 20s and 30s. So what do we do about this? We, we need, we must catch the vision that God is calling His followers to community and to friendship. And it can be a blast. We went to a party Friday night. We had a party. We went to a Domino's party. Not Domino's pizza. Domino's little squares with the white dots. There were about ten of us. And it wasn't a full-blown meal. It was some very nice dessert and some snacks, something to drink. We sat around the table. But we just, we had a party. See, it doesn't have to be something that you, the, the big and fantastic. It's it just people getting together. My, I tease my, my daughter-in-law, but they're, my son and daughter-in-law and my grandkids are with us today. And, and I tease her every, once in a while because when Curry, Mar- Kirby married into the family, he married into a, a very traditional Italian family. And if some of you are, are connected with it, and I know Rick Graziano understands exactly what I'm saying. Rick, where are you going to dinner today? You're going to your mom's, Yeah. Haven't been there in a while, have you? The last 51 Sundays. Yeah. See, and and I teased you wet. I said, I've never seen a family party so much. They have a birthday. They got a party. Got an anniversary. They got a party. 
They give a call. Hey, Max just cut his first tooth. Get everybody together. We're going to party. It doesn't take much. Hey, guess what? Johnny and Jimmy were out and, and, and Jimmy threw a rock at Johnny's head and missed. Call everybody together. We're going to party. See, Jesus said that we came, he came that we might have life and have an abundant life. And what a terrible thought to live on this world in the mully grubs and the humdrum and the, and, and the, the, because life is tough enough. If you're just looking for something to get you down, life is tough enough. But when we're around people that, that we can party with, our coworkers, our family, our friends, you know what happens and what I found happens when we're together? I, I stop thinking about my problems. I stop thinking about what I have to do the next day. Stop thinking about the difficulties in life because at that moment, in that moment, we are just partying and laughing and having fun and enjoying one another's company. That's really what Jesus was talking about. So, individualism, out of individualism flows isolation. And then the third one, I believe, is consumerism. Consumerism or rights over responsibilities. Now, consumerism is not all bad. In fact, consumption in its basic form is both necessary and permissible. Most of you got up this morning and you consumed something for breakfast. See, that's okay and that's probably necessary, especially if you have some some sugar problems. So what I'm talking about is this. Consumerism is loving things and using people. That's consumerism. Community is loving people and using things. And there's a vast difference. And what Jesus is calling us to is that as we have developed this friendship, He is saying, I want you to love people and use things and stop loving things and using people. Because that's, that does not gladden the heart of God. See, that's consumerism. Rights over responsibilities. Having friends just because they're friends. I was talking to someone this week and he was talking about a friendship he had had with an individual who is now deceased. And, and the comment was this. He said, he was my friend and I was his friend. But... He never wanted anything from me. He said, most friends that I have want something from me. And he said, Jim never wanted anything from me. He just wanted to be my friend. See, and and you can understand the difference. There are those who will be your friend as long as you are their sugar daddy. As long as you can give them a little money here, give them a little money there, help them out here, bail them out of this. They will call you friend. But the true friend, I believe, are those who have no expectations, no predispositions, no nothing that that is an ulterior motive. It's just it's the old song, just as I am, I will take you to be my friend. And, you know, church, will you listen to me this morning? The greatest deterrent to that is this. I'll tell you what most of your biggest fears are is. I'm afraid that if people get to know me, they won't like me. 
And I'm all there is to offer. So rather than take that risk, I will just sit back and never make friends. Say, what, Pastor Don, isn't there a risk in friendship? Yes, there's a risk in friendship. But it's important that we understand that. Now, what I'm going to do, there's a transition here. If we're going to experience community and party with family, friends, and fellow workers, we have to understand what community involves. Stay with me for about eight more minutes, and we can work through this together. Because I'm not going to read the whole reference verse because there's 16 verses here. The Apostle Paul, pastor's been alluding to those the last two or three Sundays. The Apostle Paul is writing a letter of greeting. And in chapter 16 of Romans, it kind of reads like Matthew 1. It's a genealogy. And if you read just the names, you get nothing out of it. But if you read who these people were and what they meant to Paul, it really makes a difference. So what I'm going to do is I'm just going to go through some names here, and then I will, I will bring that to a conclusion and help you understand what Paul is doing. He begins, he says, I commend you to our sister Phoebe. Greet a Pril, a, a Priscilla and Aquila, because they risked their lives for me. Then he talks about Epinetus and Mary, Andronicus and Junius, Ampliatus, Apellus, Urbanus, Herodian, Tryphena and Tryphosa, my dear friend Persis, greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, Asyncritus, Phlegon, Hermes, Patrobus, Hermas, greet Philagus and Julia and Nereus and his sister and Olympus. And he's going all the way through this host of friends that are here in Rome. And the interesting thing is, Paul is sending a letter of greeting to a group of people that he's laughed with, he's cried with, he's been imprisoned with, he's worked with, and he's partied with. And the interesting part of this letter is sending the letter to a group of people that he has never been there yet. He had yet to go to Rome. You say, well, how did he know all these people? Because in his missionary journeys and travels and ministries, he came across people who supported and laughed and prayed and cried and partied and ministered and shared common life together. And even though they may have been dispersed out of Rome, they were now back in Rome. He had been in correspondence. So he's saying, I'm going to send a letter here and, and, and I want you to give greeting to all of these people. You say, well, when he wrote to Ephesus and the other churches, why didn't he name a whole bunch of people? Because he had already been there. And if he started naming people, somebody's going to get offended. But he hadn't been to Rome yet. So he writes this letter, people who had risked their lives, they were imprisoned, sacrificed, encouraged, and ministered faithfully with the Apostle Paul. All of these people had the qualities and characteristics of a true community. It would be, and just hypothetically with me here this morning, it would be that if, if I were to go to a, a city... And let me just pick one just out of the air. If I was to go to Seattle, Washington, and in my travels of ministry, those people who have been who ministered to us and helped us and worked with us in the different areas of of uh, Rockville, Indiana, and Madison, Indiana, and Jamestown, New York, and 
and uh, out east in, in uh, Springfield, Mass., and, and all of those churches, I find and I've been tracking with them and communicating and found that they all ended up in Seattle, Washington for some various reason. But now I'm getting ready to go to Seattle. And I'm going there to minister. I'm going to go there to hold some services. And I just happen to have a brother-in-law and sister-in-law who lives in that area. So I'm writing a letter and I'm naming all of these people who I've worked with and cried with and prayed with and and partied with. And then I also say, and greet Daryl and Patsy, my brother-in-law and sister-in-law. And you see, that's what Paul was doing here. He was expressing this greeting because he, he was showing and demonstrating the value of fellowship. Now, there's a three-dimension of community that I want to give to you this morning, and we can walk through this very quickly. First of all is fellowship. Fellowship. Fellowship expresses our common life. In fact, in Philippians 2, verse 1 through 5, Paul wrote these words. If you've gotten anything at all out of following Christ... If his love has made any difference in your life, if being in a community of the Spirit means anything to you, if you have a heart, if you care, then do me a favor. Now, I'm going to stop there just a moment because it's important that you catch the word if. See, normally the word if is used to explain the condition upon which what follows depends. Such as, if it rains today and if we have sunshine tomorrow the flowers and the bushes and the shrubs that we have planted will survive and flourish in the next few days see i'm saying if this condition happens this will be the result of the harvest paul in using that word if has turned that around he he said because you're already following christ and if you following christ has made a difference If his love has made a difference, so he's talking to people who are already experienced that change in their heart and become a follower of Jesus. And here's what he says. Let's continue on. Agree with each other. Love each other. Be be deep-spirited friends. Don't push your way to the front. Don't sweet-talk your way to the top. Put yourself aside and help others get ahead. Don't be obsessed with getting your own advantage Forget yourselves long enough to lend a helping hand. Can we just forget about ourselves long enough to help somebody else? I was very busy yesterday. We've got 25 shrubs and bushes we're putting in our backyard. That's a lot of work. And I'm making a run over to the church. And lo and behold, down here at Hammett and Hershey, there's a car in the ditch. I think what happened, he tried to go on the right He was in the ditch, very upset, not hurt, no injuries, just very, very upset. And I'm I'm, I'm standing there. I'm sitting there at the corner. I'm thinking, got a lot to do, got a lot to do, got to keep going, got to get to church, got to do this, got to do this. And then I'm thinking, but you're preaching tomorrow. You better be a good example. (laughs) So I turn the corner, roll down the window and say, you need help? He, he didn't answer, so... No, I, I said, are you okay? Yes. Is there anything that I can do to help? He said, no, i got a cell phone. And uh, he said, I've already called the wrecker and everything's okay. But he said, thanks for asking. Now, I didn't do that just so I could come in with a clear conscience this morning. But 
can I, I use that to illustrate that we get so busy doing our stuff and our thing and for ourselves that we just don't take time to find out if somebody else needs a lending needs a helping hand. And you see, that's what holds that's what builds community. That's what builds fellowship. It's the participation and the sharing. So with fellowship, the party is the key. Have a party. Throw a party. Tomorrow is Memorial Day. If you haven't planned one, plan one. And you say, well, I don't have time to plan this. Hot dogs and hamburgers and a croquet set or a volleyball set or just just sitting around the table enjoying company and fellowship and just kind of relaxing. That's a good party. The party is the key. Love is the quality. Love is the quality. And without fellowship, we are joyless. Without fellowship, we are joyless. And God wants us to be full of joy. The second component of that that brings us into this whole concept of community, the, third, the second dimension is this. That's accountability. Accountability expresses our commitment. Because you see, when you become friends, you become committed. Now you can, see, you can go, if you're shopping for a product, you can go in and out of Lowe's and you can go in and out of Home Depot and you can go in and out of Walmart and you can go in and out of Best Buy and you can, and that's okay, this going in and out thing. But I believe that when God calls us to community and He calls us to friendship, He says it's time to stop running in and out. It's time to put your roots down. It's time to connect. It's time to find somebody around you that you can help. It's time that we bring this whole family concept together because we have family is the key. That's family. We had a situation this week where one of our men needed some work done at his house, and one of our other fellows in the church, he and a worker came over, and they did the work, and they even went out and bought something to, to add to that. And the guy says, what do I owe you? And, and, and his, his fellow family member in the body of Christ says, you don't know me anything. He said, you're part of our church family. And that's what families do for each other. Woo! That's what families do for each other. And that's really what God is wanting to move us to in this series, is the accountability. So, in Hebrews, the writer says this. Watch your step, friends. Make sure there's no evil unbelief lying around that will trip you up and throw you off course, diverting you from the living God. For as long as it's still God's today... Keep each other on your toes. Or another translation says, exhort one another. What does that mean? Exhort means to urge one to pursue some course of conduct, to warn or to recommend. So he says, keep each other on your toes so sin doesn't slow down your reflexes. If we can only keep our grip on the sure thing we started out with, we're in this with Christ for the long haul. Keep each other on your toes. And accountability is one of the hardest things that we have to initiate because we just don't want people knowing our mess. 
We don't want people getting to know us. We don't want people to realize that we're not perfect. And that's a given. None of us here are perfect. So with accountability, family is the key. Truth is the quality. And without accountability, we have that tendency of leaning toward hypocrisy. What do I mean by that? That means putting on a front in front of other people when we're really someone else outside of these walls or in our own setting. That's accountability. The last one is partnership. Partnership expresses our vision. And I'm going to tie this in because it emphasizes what Pastor gave to us last Sunday. Matthew 5, 13 and 14. Let me tell you why you're here. In case you're wondering why you're here, let me tell you. You're here to be salt seasoning that brings out the God flavors of this earth. If you lose your saltiness, how will people taste godliness? You've lost your youthfulness and will end up in the garbage. Here's another way to put it. You're here to be light, bringing out the God colors in this world. God is not a secret to be kept. And I don't have time to elaborate on this, but I have to ask us the question. How many times have we put a a bad taste in someone else's mouth regarding loving Jesus? See, salt and light is the key. Our mission, our vision is the quality. And without partnership, we are susceptible to divide or to drift. Ask Jenny and the worship team to come up. And they're just going to close us out this morning with a song that I know perhaps some of this has been a little uh, taken a while to digest and to assimilate. So I want them to come up and just bring us back into this thanksgiving and thankfulness for who we are as the body of Christ. But I have to tell you this. Jesus painted his vision for community with imagery, three-dimensional pictures of an attractive company of friends gathered for the purpose of a joint pursuit of God. I'm going to pray for us this morning. I want you to stand. Would you stand with me, please, here in the congregation? I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to ask the worship band to just lead us out of here and just in a worship sense and giving God thanks and praise. And let's make some new friends. Maybe even before you leave this building, you're going to walk out of here with some new friends. Father, we thank you today that it's your plan for us to be community. It's your plan to us for us to have fellowship, and it's your plan for us to enjoy friends. Father, we thank you that even though we are so different, that you bring us together in that common bond of love and that that unity of concept. There's one Lord, one God, one Savior, one baptism, one hope of glory. (coughs) Father, help us to identify and identify to us those that need a helping hand today. Lord, we love you. We thank you for this day that we have together. Father, I speak blessing upon this congregation this morning. As we go our separate ways to be with family and friends and community, may the words that we've shared today be nothing that has come out of my wisdom or insight, but it's by your Holy Spirit. They're sealed into our hearts and minds. We thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Just a moment, Jenny, would you lead us in that song?
And then as you feel led, you are free to be dismissed this morning. Sing to the King who is coming to reign. Glory to Jesus, the Lamb that was slain. Life and salvation, His empire shall bring. And joy to the nations when Jesus King, sing to the King, sing to the King who is coming to reign. Glory to Jesus, the Lamb that was slain. Life and salvation, His empire shall bring and joy. Have a great weekend. Enjoy your Memorial Day together. God bless you.